so this is Surah Al-Imran, verse 160. Uh, this was a verse I had marked actually, but I did not, uh, I in mistakenly skipped it last night. So this is the last verse from the first half of the fourth juz uh, that I wanted to do. If Allah subhanahu wa helps you, nothing can overcome you. No one can overcome you. There's nothing, no force, no power, no individual, no plotting, no planning that can have ghalaba over you. And so this means that all we have to do is seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, beg for the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make ourselves such followers of deen that we attract the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then similarly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن يَخْذُلْكُمْ فَمَنْ يَنْصُرُكُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forsakes you, if He abandons you, if He chooses to neglect you rather than help you, Chooses not to forgive you, chooses not to guide you, chooses not to rescue you. Then who is it who could ever help you Yansurukum after him other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after he's abandoned you? Therefore, wa Allahi Therefore, on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone should the believers place their absolute reliance and trust. So what we learn now go backwards in the translation, if you will. Tawakkul, Iman, and then Tawakkul will lead to the Nusrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if we truly believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we must place all all of our trust and reliance upon him and he will send his help upon us. The second ayah that I wanted to do here was 164 but I did that last time. Now beginning uh, the second half of the fourth juz again we're still on Sula Ala Imran and again I will repeat uh, because I want to actually try to say this every night so in every recording this is there that I'm selecting a few verses just based on uh, my reflections upon my own personal reading Reading, and I'm also sort of omitting most of the, not all, but most of the historical and legal uh, verses that have deep historical or legal relevance uh, for shortage of time. So it's not a complete tafsir of the entire Quran al-Karim. It's just looking at selected verses in the Quran in this month of Ramadan, especially those which may have some teachings that can help us in our deen, our tazkiyah, our islah, our spirituality, our connection with Allah subhanahu wa our conviction on deen and our passion for deen. Okay, so for the first verse tonight, Surah Al-Imran, verse number 169. Now, this is something I had done briefly before because it came up in Surah Baqarah and we did it over there, but it comes up again. That do not deem and consider those who have been slain in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as dead. 
Alright, so can mean many things. One, one obviously means the righteous, just, fair, equitable war, which is only to the extent required to repel oppression and injustice and tyranny. And that I already explained earlier when we did those relevant verses in Surah Baqarah. But it can mean other things as well. So for example, Sayyidina Rasulullah he said in the Hadith that a person when they travel for the sake of knowledge, they're in the path of Allah When a person goes to the masjid to pray Salatul Jummah, they're in the path of Allah Right? So, Qutilu, if they're slain, for what reason? Only because they're believers, then they will be what in our deen we call shaheed, or they will be martyrs. Alright? So, Allah SWT is saying in Quran that don't consider them, don't deem them in your own hisab. Don't think that they are dead. Bal, no, rather, Ahya'un, they are very much alive in the Rabbihim and they're in the presence of their Rabb. You're Zakun and they're given risk from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they're alive and well and they're given risk from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is something I had explained earlier uh, that if this is true about the Shuhada, that's according to the principles of legal epistemology and also Quranic hermeneutics interpretation tafsir that you have Nabiyeen, Siddiqeen, Shuhada, Salihin, four categories mentioned in Quran. So if it's true about the Shuhada, the overwhelming majority of the ulama of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah viewed this to be true about the Siddiqeen and Nabiyeen as well. What? That they are not entirely dead. What does it mean? In terms of their connection with the physical world, what hap- what's happening on the surface of the earth in terms of their worldly life that is finished they're slain in that sense they're dead but they're but on the other hand in the sense that every human being is somewhat sentient in their grave because you know from the Quran and from the Sunnah that a person will either be punished in their grave or they will be their grave will be made a garden from amongst the gardens of Jannah and they're living their ruh remains alive and they exist in a plane or dimension of existence called Alim Barzakh but these people Shuhada, Siddiqin and Nabin have something even more than that so some greater aspect of life and what's that greater aspect of life? That is coming in these verses of Quran al So what's that additional? Level? So every human being, let me repeat again. Every human being, when they die, their physical body will cease to function, right? And they may disintegrate and dissolve into the earth, but their ruh remains alive. And there's a certain level of sentience and awareness they have in the grave. So for example, we know from completely authentic hadith accepted by the entire ummah, that an angel will enter, the two angels, Munkar and Nakir, will enter the grave, will ask every human being some questions. So obviously that human being has some sense of life, sentience, consciousness, awareness to be able to answer those questions. Alright? Okay. However, there's a certain category of human being Three categories specifically, Nabiyin, all of the prophets and messengers, alayhim aslam ajma'in, Siddiqeen, and Allah knows best who they are, but the truest followers of the prophets, the most virtuous of pious of the believers, very few left alive today. And third, shuhada, and that I already explained to you, those who were martyred, slain for no reason other than the fact that they were believers. Okay? They will have that same level of life and sentences, but they will have an additional type of life, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. That don't call them dead. They're not like the ordinary human dead. 
بَلْ أَحْيَاءٌ إِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ But rather they're alive in the presence of their Rabb يُرْزَقُونَ They're given risk, sustenance, provision, nourishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the first thing, that there's some notion of risk that they're getting. Whereas an ordinary human being no longer needs any kind of risk. Risk doesn't mean food and drink. Allahu alam what it means. But there's some, that's the first aspect of their life. Second, فَرِهِينَ بِمَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ They are rejoicing with what, their, what Allah subhanahu bestows upon them from His fuzzle. So the first thing they're getting is risk from Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Second is they're getting some type of fuzzle from Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Fuzzle means Allah ta'ala's infinite grace, treasure, generosity, His bounties, His blessing. Third, وَيَسْتَبْشِرُونَ بِالَّذِينَ لَمْ يَلْحَكُوا بِهِمْ مِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ And they are also, a second reason they're rejoicing, okay, is that they're receiving the glad tidings about those who have not yet joined them, but rather those who are whom min khalfim, those who they left behind. So, what does that mean? That means the people who are still living on earth. This is the third aspect that an ordinary human being doesn't get this. The shuhada, the siddiqin, and the nabiin get this. They receive, and we don't know. We cannot, you know, many ulama have speculated about the nature of this, the extent of this, the particulars of this. I cannot claim that anyone can say that definitively. But we do know it exists. So this is sometimes, uh, you know, that we know something in Qur'an al-Kareem, from the Qur'an al-Kareem, we know something to be true. That doesn't mean we may know its exact nature, the specifics, the particularities, the extent, the dynamics. But... The Arabic is very clear. These are not mutshabe uh, ayat. These are very clear, linguistically speaking, very clear expressions of the Arabic language. They receive good tidings concerning those who have not yet joined them. Yani those who have not yet passed away. Those who are still alive. And again Allah Ta'ala says, from, uh, they have not joined them. From those who they left behind. Again, those are still alive. And then the fourth thing, if I was keeping track correctly, risk, fuzzle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these glad tidings. And then the fourth thing, Allah khawfun alayhim walahum yasunun, that there no fear shall ever overwhelm them, nor shall they grieve. Fifth, next ayah. Yastabshiruna, same word, they receive glad tidings, good news. Bushra means a wonderful, joyous news and information. Of what? Binatim minallahi wa fadl. From a na'ma from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can say a favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and fadl. So the word fadl coming again, a special bounty and grace. Wa anallah la yudhi'u ajral mu'minin. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never ever let go to waste the reward of the true believers. Allah akbar kabira. Ajib ayah of Quran al-Kareem. And this is why, 
if you take it then all the way to the top from Shuhada, Siddiqeen, Nabiyyin and then Imam Al-Anbiya Al-Mursaleen yani Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alaihi Wasallam Now this is a very delicate thing and sometimes the ulama they don't talk about this because people then take it too far and there's a great danger that a person may interpret this too much Right, And so there were some people, for example, in South Asia and subcontinent who believe incorrectly and unfortunately, deeply, profoundly, falsely that Sayyidina Rasulullah knows about everything that's going on on planet Earth. No, that's not true. There's some extent of some glad tidings that reach these people. Only Allah knows best what that extent is. It's not for us to say, the only thing we know, it's not all knowledge. Because all knowledge belongs only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, one thing we do know from authentic hadith is that anybody who says salawat anywhere in the world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends angels and then they collect that salawat and they take that to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in his rulda. Literally. So let's mean you if we all say salawat right now. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa baraka wa sallam taslima. Alright? An angel collect all of that and took that to Medina Manawara in real live time in the month of Ramadan. And delivers it to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he receives it sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that, and he knows who sent it. Allahu Akbar Kabira. That we know, that much we know, alright? And beyond that, Allah SWT knows best, alright? But these are, it's a very interesting thing because a lot of people, they don't realize that this is actually clearly mentioned. Uh, the general aspect of this greater sense of life to certain people uh, where they're receiving risk from Allah Ta'ala, fuzzle from Allah Ta'ala, glad tidings, bushra of several kinds of people who they left behind who have yet to join them, and also of a ni'mah. Some take the ni'mah, by the way, to mean that they get the good tidings in grave about that their akhirah will be Jannah. Alright? Uh, others say that ni'mah is the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, and the fuzzle uh, that they get glad tidings of is the uh, that the glad tidings that they will end up in Jannah. All right? But clearly, it is an exalted state. It's a higher state that a normal human being will have in their grave or a normal human being will have in their barzakh. Now remember this uh, originally, this whole passage, if you remember from yesterday, uh, the preceding ayat were referring to the Battle of Uhud, right? And there were many Sahabi who became martyred, uh, were slain due to their iman by the pagans of Makkah who themselves marched forward with their armies near to Medina Manawara's Uhud, and their intention was to uh, annihilate the Deen of Islam, all right? You will also, uh, so if you remember this, this was something we did in Surah Baqarah, uh, the same thing that they're alive in the presence of their Rabb. Alright?
Beyond that, I think it's not wise uh, for us to go into further detail. It's just something that we know. And Allahu Alam, if any of us uh, is slain uh, for this reason, due to our Iman or our service of Iman, we will experientially find out. Uh, we can only comment, understand it, and comment on it and explain it to the extent uh, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has mentioned over here. All right. Uh, and there's a lot one could talk about about the you know the stages of life. And so there's a good book by this a book, good book on this by Imam Hadari Taala called The Lives of Men. All right, but I wanted to point this out. Here, let's continue. So this was verses up to 171. 173 at the very end uh, is this famous statement that Allah Ta'ala describes the believers as saying, That Allah Ta'ala is sufficient for us and He is the best wakil, He is the best He's the best caretaker, you know, guardian, He's the best disposer and manager of all of our affairs. Right, so this is a statement we should make. Husbandullah wa nemal wakil. Husbandullah wa nemal wakil. Then look at the end of verse one seventy-four. Here, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, mentions that these people, because it's talking about this whole category of people, that what tabau ridwan Allah, they follow and seek only and only the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for such people wallahu dhu fadlin adheem and indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being who entirely possesses fadlin adheem a tremendous great limitless bounty and grace so this is also the notion of our life that we should be seeking the ridwan the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we should view hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil we should view if you remember that upon Allah Ta'ala we give our tawakkul. This is a running theme in these passages of Surah Allah Imran. Then in verse 175, Allah Ta'ala refers to people, sort of advises people against one thing that can maybe sometimes distract us from having this pure tawheed that all we're doing is seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is that? That is shaitan. Innama dhalikum shaitanu. It is only shaitan. Yukhawwifu awliya'uhu. That he frightens you of his allies. And so here, if you remember yesterday, we talked about people of enmity and hostility. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually describing them in Quran al-Kareem as what? Not awliya'ullah. This phrase is there in this ayah. Awliya'uhu means awliya'ushaitan. So Shaitan has his friends, his intimate companions who are also his allies, his proxies. Okay, and Shaitan tries to put fear in the heart of the believers concerning them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses this and says what? فَلَا تَخَافُوهُمْ And do not fear them. وَخَافُونِي But rather only fear me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ If indeed you are believers. And if you remember... In another place in Quran, Allah subhanahu wa says about khishiyah, فَلَاتَكْ شَوْهِمْ وَكْشَوْنِي That you should not have khishiyah for them. You should have only khishiyah for me. So whether it is khawf, whether it is khishiyah, both of these aspects of fear should only and only be felt for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, verse 178. Verse 178 is also a very important ayah of Quran al 
So this eye is strictly about the disbelievers. And here Allah is saying is let that those who have chosen to deny the truth and reject belief even though they know it to be true. This is the strict meaning of the Alladina Kafaru. Those who have chosen to deny the truth and reject belief all the while knowing it to be true. Such people if Allah gives them respite, mohla, doesn't seize them immediately with his punishment. Their life is going fine, they're doing well in the world, they're successful, etc. They should never think, they should never dupe themselves, they should never be deceived and have this delusion that, oh, uh, you know, that Allah Ta'ala has let them be, so this is something that is good for them. So Allah Ta'ala answers, إِنَّمَا نُمْلِي لَهُمْ No, we actually have given them respite only for one reason, لَيَزْدَادُوا إِثْمَا So that they may increase in committing their sins. And they will have a tremendously humiliating punishment. Now, even though the verse is about kuffar, so we cannot strictly apply to believers, but believers should also reflect and fear that are we falling in this pattern? In other words, do we commit a sin and then look around us and see that nothing happened to us? Everything is going fine. Our life is fine. Maybe our deen is fine. That we committed a sin, but I'm still able to wake up for Fajr Salah. Or I committed a sin, I'm still able to recite Quran. Or I committed a sin, I'm still able to learn deen. I committed a sin, I'm still able to do dawah. So sometimes for us, so we would sort of take the broader lesson from the eye and apply it to believers. Believers should also not fall into this deception. If they know something to be a sin and they do it, and then they see doing that sin apparently outwardly did not negatively affect their deen or dunya, they shouldn't be fooled into thinking that maybe Allah Ta'ala is letting them get away with it. Rather they should think about this verse, إِنَّمَا نُمْلِي لَهُمْ لِيَزْدَادُ إِثْمَا no, Allah Ta'ala is just letting, not letting that, active commission of sin affect their deen and dunya. Why? لِيَزْدَادُ إِثْمَا So that they continue and increase. Ziyada is didad. They increase further and further in their sin. And ultimately then, then they won't repent. And if they show up to Allah SWT on the Day of Judgment with sins they haven't repented for, then for the believers, maybe Allah Ta'ala will send His mercy upon them. Or maybe He will send His punishment upon them. Then the next verse says, "Wa so, ma kan Allahu liyadar al mu'minina ala ma antum alayhi." That Allah Subhanahu will not leave the believers in the state you are in until hatta yamiz al khabith min al tayyib, until He Allah Subhanahu separates out, sifts out the khabith, the foul, the profane, the evil min al tayyib from the pure, noble, virtuous, from the good. So this is another aspect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests the believers. So this is not, this is not this verse isn't about those who disbelieve and deny. This is about the believers. Right? Al Mu'mineen. This is about the believers. So we should view any and every test in our life that all it is is that we have to turn to Allah subhanahu wa more, whether that's more istighfar or more toba, more amal saleh, more obedience, more submission, more khidma, more dawah. We should never ever let any task, difficulty, setback, enmity, failure of our own ever let us slide deeper into sin or deeper into laxity or deeper into laziness, lest we also become overwhelmed by a humiliating 
punishment. That's the meaning of earlier of the ayah Mohin. Okay, go ahead now to 182. I just want to do the last few uh, words of 182. And Allah Subhanahu is not unjust in the slightest. So those of you who study with the lamin, the tanwin is coming. That Allah Ta'ala does not is not unjust in even the slightest, even in a fraction of a sense. Lil abid to his creatures and slaves. So you've seen ibad, you've seen abid to his creatures and slaves. Right? And so this is the notion, this is also a very important teaching that many times people ask you questions that, oh, something's happened in this world, what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment, will so-and-so really go to hell? We say, look, we don't know about anyone, what's going to happen to anyone on that day. This much we know is that every human being will face Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the being who is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, the being who is pure mercy, pure compassion, pure love, the being who is Ar-Rauf, Binas, that being who is tenderly kind and gentle with all of humanity, the being who, the being who will absolutely not do even a fraction or an iota of injustice to any one of his creatures and slaves. So this is what we know with certainty. We don't know what the outcome is, but we know the, what the process is. Right? And because the process is perfect, the judge, Allah Ta'ala, is perfect. So this is why we are total, we, we, we don't worry or have any questions about what the outcome will be. Alright? 185. Each and every single self, soul, individual will taste death. Right? It means in you know in colloquial every person will die. But Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala chose to use this that you will taste death. And one reason for this is dying is an experience. Just think like living is an experience, dying is an experience. It's a process. The ruh will be extracted from our soul by the angels of death. So one is the physical process. People can die physically through many means. It can be cancer, it can be heart attack, it can be old age, it can be so many things. But there's another aspect of death, which is the separation of the ruh from the jism. The separation of the spiritual core of a human being from their physical material body. And that, in that sense, they will feel and they will experience, and so to speak, they will taste death. And each and every soul will be recompensed in full with their reward, Yomel Qiyamah, on the Day of Judgment. And that person who is drawn away from the fire of Jahannam or Udkhil al-Jannah. Now this is a strange, this is a, 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 I mean, strange, I mean, a poignant way Allah is described, depicting this. It's not just to be entered into Jannah. It's actually, you will be drawn away from the fire of Jahannam. The flames of the fire in Jahannam that are leaping out and they want to ensnare you or me because of our sins. First, Allah Ta'ala will draw us away from that. And then, And then we will be entered and admitted into Jannah. Indeed, such a person has uh, attained the ultimate, absolute pinnacle of success and triumph. Allahu Akbar. So it's a very humbling thing that all of us are going to just escape the clutches of the fire of Jahannam due to the rahmah and the mercy and love and compassion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Then Allah Ta'ala in the end of the ayah mentions another very important teaching. dunya illa mata'ul And this life of the world is not other than mata'ul ghurur, just an enjoyment of delusion. The entire life of the world, our worldly life as individuals, the worldly existence as an absolute, entirely, illa is nothing else other than mata'ul ghurur, is just an enjoyment of delusion. Hmm? Now just contrast this to uh, the philosophy of life that says that life is about progress and technology and you know, the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. And I'm not saying that these things are necessarily wrong, but existentially, the haqiqat, the ultimate reality of our worldly existence in this world is it's all fluff. It's all delusion. It doesn't mean it's all false. It's all fluff. It's all delusion because it has no reality, no permanence. It's not the asl. The asl hayat is the hayat of the akhirah because that's permanent, that's everlasting, that's eternal. But in one sense, this life obviously is critical because this life will determine the next one, right? So in this one sense alone, the worldly life has precedence and priority over the next life. So then in another way than what this means, matal ghurur is that our attraction to the world, our attraction to material pursuits, material pleasures, material enjoyments is but a distraction, a delusion from the reality of what we should be seeking instead is what what we did before is the rizwan, the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Skip one verse on verse 187. So again now this book is specifically first going to be about the Ahli Kitab but we should think about it for ourselves as believers what lesson we want to take from this. With Akhdallahu Mithaqal Ladina Utul Kitaba and when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took a firm pledge and covenant from those who were bestowed upon and revealed scriptural revelation. Litubay And what they will do beyond even more, they will do tibyan. They will make that scriptural revelation, the kitab, clear to all of humanity. And they will not conceal it. But what did they do after taking that pledge? After that pledge was taken to them, did they fulfill it? No. They cast it behind their backs. That's literally what it means. It means they concealed it. They didn't present it to the world. They didn't share it with humanity. They kept it concealed and hid it. And they used it uh, to exchange by means of it a paltry sum. Thaman and Kalila is a small price, a paltry sum. And terrible and wretched it is what they have purchased. So now if we think about this, right, as believers, because we are no different. If Allah Ta'ala sent us Qur'an al-Kareem and give us tawfiq to have iman in Qur'an, why? So that we could share it and make it clear and manifest for all of humanity. But if instead, no, we're shy to be Muslim, it's like we're concealing the Qur'an Right? Here it's, it was different for the Ahl Kitab. They concealed part of the verses. They did what's called Tahrif of Kitab. They tried to alter the teachings. For us, it would mean what? That we are shy about it. We're not sharing it. And what is the purpose of the scripture? Linnas for all of humanity. Hmm? For all of humanity. And for them, 
the washtaru bihi thamanan qalila meant that they may become clergy, etc. For us, it would mean what? That why were we shy? Well, because I don't know if I'll get hired, I don't know if I'll get the job. I don't know if this person will like me. So I got worldly fame, or I got people to like me, right? Or I got the job by being shy about my deen. And I, if I had done dawah, and I had openly shared Qur'an al-Kareem, maybe I wouldn't have gotten these things. So that's the same that we exchange it for a paltry sum, for some worldly gain. Let me give you an example. If some, let's say a person was given a guaranteed, absolute, certain, definitive, for sure, cure for cancer, but they didn't share it with humanity. What do people say about such a person? They said they're terrible. They said this is a terrible human being. The Quran al-Kareem is a cure for spiritual cancer. The certainty in that is more than 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's a cure for the spiritual cancer of humanity. A cure for the physical cancer would only save a person from physically dying. Cure for spiritual cancer can save humanity from ending up in Jahannam for eternity. So if the person who had a definite, definitive cure for physical cancer, but they were shy and didn't share it with people, right? They kept it to themselves. People would say they're terrible. So then how terrible is it that that ummah who has bestowed the iman in Quran and sunnah is not fulfilling their, like the reality of dawah and sharing it with people? And so this is the eye that we should reflect on when it comes to this. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues, right? La tahsabanna ladhina yafrahuna bima ataw wa yuhibbuna an yuhmadu bima lam yafalu. Allah Akbar. This is the key part of this. Wa yuhibbuna an yuhmadu bima lam yafalu. They love that they should be praised. For what? For things that they don't even do. Allah Akbar Kabira. They love to be praised for things that they don't even do. So let's say somebody thinks we're pious, we're actually not really pious. And people say, oh, mashallah, you're so pious. And we like it when they say that. Hmm? We should remember this verse. They love to be praised for the things that they don't even do. Hmm? So then imagine how much they would exult enjoy, right? Uh, were they to be praised for what they've even done? Hmm? Allahu Akbar. So this is a strange type of nifaq that in reality they find joy and happiness in worldly things, but they want to be known publicly as sincere and pious people. Not just known, they want to be praised as such. So obviously, this is the characteristics of the munafikun. Allah is mentioning here that it's about certain members of that historical community of Ahl Kitab, but we should take heed lest this ever comes to us. Hmm? Lest this ever comes to us. It's a very important teaching. We never put it this way. All the attributes and traits and behavioral patterns and actions that Allah Subhanahu mentions and censures and mentions them by reprimanding them about the Alladhina kafaru or Alladhina nafaku or Ahlul Kitab in Quran, we should be wary of ever having any one of those character traits or behavioral patterns inside us. 
to don't gloss through those verses. Oh, that's about the Aladina Kafru. Oh, that's about Ekliktab. Me, I'm just going to focus where where does it say Aladina Amano? No, no, all of it is Quran. All of it has lessons for us to take heed from. All of it is for us to reflect upon. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, and this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this. Verse 190 onwards. I'm just going to do the end part of 190. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this category of people, the Ulul Albab. Alright? So Allah first mentions the physical aspect of his creation, of the Samawat and the Ard and the alternating of the day and the night. And in all of this is La Ayatin, Ulul Albab. All of this is surely signs for the people of Lub. Lub is a sublime understanding that is done through the mind and the heart and the ruh. Alright? So one is Akal, Afalayakilun. That is the understanding that is only done through the aql, the mind, and rationality. Lub is when you use the aql and the qalb, both. That you understand something with your mind, but also with your heart, your conscience, your emotions. Not just with your aql, but also with your ilm. So the combination of all of that, people who do that, they're called ulul albab. So that is the creative aspect, reflection aspect, contemplative aspect, spiritual aspect of understanding, which coexists along with the rational aspect. who are these people, Ulul Al-Bab? This is the important thing in this passage. Who are the Ulul Al-Bab? After mentioning them at the end of 190, 191, Allah will say, Who are the Ulul Al-Bab? They are those who, They remember Allah SWT while standing and while sitting and while lying on their sides. means they remember Allah SWT at all times. These are the people who are known as Ulul Al-Bab. They remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times. Because the human being is always in one of these three states. And they may be remembering Allah ta'ala by their heart. They may be remembering Allah ta'ala by their tongue. This is also the different positions of prayer. And a person who is sick may end up praying it lying down. Right? And this is why Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Ya ayyuhalladina amanutkurullah dhikran kathira, that you should make the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, remembrance of Allah Ta'ala abundantly, excessively, at all times, when you're standing, when you're sitting, when you're lying down, when you're healthy enough to stand, when you're tired and you're sitting, when you're sick and lying down. There's so many ways to understand this, but this is the first aspect of the Ulul Albab, that they're people of deep remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, persistent and sustained dhikrullah, persistent and sustained remembrance of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. It's an intense level of zikr. And the second thing is fikr, is tafakkur. And they also reflect and ponder and learn and take heed from what? The manner of Allah Ta'ala's creation of the samawat and the earth. And when they do that, what do they say? Rabbana ma khalakta hadha batila. That, oh, our Rabb, there's no way you created hadha, all this batila in vain. Subhanaka. Glory be to you. You are above and beyond all the questions that the atheists have. You are above and beyond all the doubts of the skeptics. You are above and beyond all the scientists who, not that they all are like that, but this, those scientists who look and gaze upon the physical aspects of creation and don't remember you and don't see you. You're beyond all of that. Fakina adabannar and Ya Allah save us from the punishment and the fire of Jahannam. So this is also an aspect. Right? This is not the person didn't do sin. They had the deep persistent sustained dhikr. They did tafakkur on Allah Ta'ala's creation. They made dua to Allah Ta'ala. 
They did tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but then they end by saying, not even just istighfar, it's intense. So understand from this, the sequence of this, this passage, the more intensely you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, the more intensely the climax of that will be turning to Him, seeking His mercy. So you remember Allah ta'ala to a moderately strong extent, you might seek His forgiveness. And if you remember Allah to a deep extent, like mentioned in this ayah, not just forgiveness, you will ask Him to save you from the punishment of Jahannam. Alright? رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ مَنْ تُلْخِلَ النَّارَ فَقَدْ أَغْزَيْتَهُ That, O oh, Rabb, indeed, whomsoever you, you Allah Ta'ala, you enter them, admit them into the fire of Jahannam, indeed, you will have thoroughly disgraced such a person. And indeed for those who are wrongdoers, oppressors, transgressors, they will not have any helpers. Then, now, they make another dua. And these are duas to make generally, but also in Ramadan, especially. Because Ramadan is especially a month of dua. رَبَّنَا إِنَّنَا سَمِئْنَا مُنَادِيًا يُنَادِي لِلْإِيمَانِ أَنْ آمِنُوا بِالْرَبِّكُمْ فَآمَنَّا That, oh, our Rabb, indeed, we, we have heard a caller who was calling to Iman, a da'i who invited to us to have Iman. What? An aminu birrabbikum. That, oh, the caller said, what? Believe in your Rabb. This is a beautiful way of da'wah. Not telling people, I'm asking you to believe in my God. No, I'm asking you, aminu birrabbikum. Believe in your Rabb. He's your Rabb. I'm just trying to remind you of this. I'm just trying to make you aware of this. He's already yours. And you're already His. I'm just giving you a wake-up message. Hmm? Just, just this a beautiful way. And when you invite someone like that, what happens immediately? We believed. Because the person called us like that and asked us to believe in our Rabb. We said, believe in your Rabb. Hmm? Now, obviously, first, in the first instance, this can be, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, the first Munadi, if is the Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam and that is the Sahaba Kram we're lucky enough to actually have heard this da'wah from him directly but if we study the seerah and the hadith and because we are from the ummah and the only reason we have iman is due to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's original inviting to iman we can include ourselves in this some ulama say also that this munadi may be a reference to the Quran al-Karim itself Right? That we have heard the recitation of Quran and the Quran is a Munadi. And the Quran is calling us and inviting us to Iman. And the Quran is, it, you know, in other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And so you take it all the way up, basically. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether through Quran al Kareem, whether through Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Fa'amanna. Ya Allah, we have Iman. Rabbana faghfir lana. See? Right? What came after this? This came at the climax. Rabbana faghfir lana. Dhurubana. That, O Rabb, forgive us for our sins and remove from us our evil deeds and cause us to die with the abrar, the righteous, the people of Bir. Hmm? So it's also very important that, again, I'd, I'd shown this to you before. These are words in Quran, awliyas in Quran, ulamas in Quran, rabbaniyin, rabbiyunas in Quran, abraras in Quran, muttaqinas in Quran, salihinas in Quran, siddiqinas in Quran, sadiqinas in Quran. So this is something beyond just the ordinary Allah Dina Amanu. 
Again, very few people and maybe hidden and unknown. But at least we can make this dua. Allah alam where they are. You don't have to practically go and try to uh, be buried, you know, next to someone who you personally think is the abrar. You just have to make this dua. But tawaffana mal abrar. Hmm? But it's interesting that it's important. And now, and now the words literally are die. But as the Prophet said that as you live, so shall you die. So as Allah Ta'ala says elsewhere in Quran, Karim, kunu ma So it means that you're going to die with them when you live amongst them, when you associate with them, when you seek them out. And there may be so few left alive, but there's so many who've passed away. You can consult their works. Imam al-Ghazai, Ibn Taymiyyah, Imam al-Bukhari, Imam al-Razi, Mufassir, Imam al-Shaf, Imam Munifa, etc., etc. There's so many of the Shaykh al-Shaf al-Tanvi, there's so many works of so many authors who we and our Allah, of course, ultimately Allah knows best, but from what we know of their lives and their teachings, we view them to be the Abrar. Hmm? So if you don't find anybody like that in the living, then look at those. Allah Ta'ala, alhamdulillah, has given us an entire heritage of a great Islamic intellectual tradition and spiritual tradition. Alright? But this is a nice long dua. Rabbana wa atina. And so next ayah. Rabbana wa atina ma wa atina ala rusulik. That, O oh, our Rabb, grant us what you, Allah Ta'ala, promised. What? Promised us, it's literally upon, but it means via or through. Rusulaka, all your prophets and messengers. And don't disgrace us. Remember that? Fakad Akhzaita that came before. Don't disgrace us on the day of judgment. Indeed, Allah, you, you are that being who can never ever break his promise. And then their Rabb responded to them. Hmm? Sometimes it happens that you have the dua and you have the reply. Hmm? This is the true gender equality. So your Rabb replied that I will not let go waste even the slightest of acts and deeds of anyone who performs and does that deed minkum from each and every one amongst you be they min dhakarin from men or untha women be they male or female and in fact ba'dukum min ba'd and each of you are from one another anyway all men and women are born from mothers right all mothers had fathers hmm? themselves so this this is just just by the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala number one doing complete gender equality and number two re- making us realize that we should transcend even don't be obsessed with gender transcend gender and look at your overall humanity hmm? and, and and again because of certain aspects there are certain aspects of quote-unquote feminism that are completely in line with Islamic principles but there are certain aspects of feminism that are overly obsessed with gendering everything and when you do that you also lose the greater sense of humanity right if you were to overly focus on just race you would forget the common uh, aspects of humanity that transcend race and this is what El Swanta is saying what Allah is telling us in Quran transcends gender it's just your humanity so this is up, this is how much I wanted to drop to here now go forward verse 198 and 199 
لیکن الدین تکم جنات خالدین فیحا وما عند الله and that which is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that which belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that which is in the proximity the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala khairun lil abrar is better for the abrar so now even the abrar are being told that don't seek the world remember that what the reward that is in the law that is with Allah ta'ala that he will give to people in akhirah is better for the abrar وَإِنَّ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ Now this is also a very important passage, right? And who does this mean? And I'll give you sort of different interpretations on this. But it's, you know, after it, we're reaching the end, right, of Surah Al-Imran. So after in Al-Imran, but also even Surah Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really uh, mentioned a lot of things about the Yehud and Nasara, the those historical Jewish and Christian communities, the Ahli Kitab. So here now is the, is the conclusion of the surah, but also of both surahs. And in some sense of the entire Quran up to now, other than Fatiha, right? What does Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala say? وَإِنَّ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ And indeed from amongst the Ahli Kitab, those people and communities, religious communities, to whom was bestowed a scriptural revelation such as the Torah and Injil, Laman, indeed they are those who يُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ They believe in Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكُمْ And they believe in all that has been revealed to you. All of you. Alright? To the Ummah. So this is the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And they believe in all that was revealed to them. In humble reverence and awe and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't exchange and trade by ayatillahi, by means of the verses of scriptural revelation sent by Allah ta'ala, Saman and Kalila, a paltry sum, a small price. And for such members of the Ahl Kitab, they will have the ajr, the reward, lies with their Rabb. In Allah Sariul Hisab indeed Allah Spanta will be swift in taking the account and reckoning. Ya Yuhaladina okay but next, before I come to that. So first uh different ulama have mentioned uh this um, who does this apply to? Alright. Number one, there was, a little bit I'll tell you the historical occasion of this revelation. There was a famous uh, king in Abyssinia, uh, the Negus of, of Abyssinia. He was a Christian king of Abyssinia. And he was the first person who actually gave sanctuary and asylum and safety to first, the first hijra was when some of the companions, they migrated uh, to Abyssinia's modern-day Ethiopia. So some viewed uh, this specific this verse specifically about, about him and his followers. Uh, 
Now, there's a lot of discussion and commentaries and works of history. Did he remain a Christian? Did he pass away as a Muslim? Allah knows best. You can't say it entirely for sure. But the point is that those commentators, and there's a fair number of them who view that he did pass away as a Christian, but he had respect when he saw these Muslims are a monotheistic community who are being persecuted by polytheistic mushrikeen pagans and idol worshippers, and he gave them sanctuary because of that. And he had in him this Najis, a Christian king of Abyssinia, in him that true uh, affinity uh, that all of the monotheists are supposed to have between and amongst one another and exactly what Allah Ta'ala did call to and invite to repeatedly throughout uh, in Al Surah Al-Baqarah and Allah Imran second is that it applies to him and anyone who may be like him uh, anybody who fits this description and third is that it's referring to the Jews and Christians who converted, if you will, and they accepted Iman and accepted Islam. Now the final verse uh, of this surah, of Surah Al-Imran, Ya ayyuhalladheena amunus biru wa sabiru wa rabitu wa taqullaha la'allakum tuflihun That, oh, you have Iman, four things. Isbiru, have sabr. Wa sabiru, you would think it's sabr again. Wa rabitu. And be firm and steadfast. So the first meaning of sabr is what you would normally in English call patience, right? Patiently bear adversity and difficulty. Wasabiru and persevere and be steadfast in the good that you do. So patiently bear adversity, difficulty, evil. Wasabiru and remain committed and persevere on the good that you have. Patient with the bad and persevere in the good. Warabitu. Warabitu. And uh, be constant in your turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your rabd, your taluk, and your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rabat also was a word that was used sometimes for, if I remember correctly, stables, where horses were trained. And Rabat was sometimes also used, was one of the Arabic words, like Zawiya for Khanka, or a place where people were trained to have istikama. So Rabatu here also means have istikama. So be constant and consistent and persistent. And fear Allah Ta'ala with His reverence and awe. So that you may be falah, you may be successful. Alright, now Surah An-Nisa. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The first verse of Surah An-Nisa. Surah 4 verse 1. Ya ayuhal nasu attakul rambakum alladhi khalakakum min nafsin wahida wa khalakam min haz zawjaha wa batha minhuma rijalan kathira wa nisa'a. So this is also one of the verses Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited in the khutbah of nikah. Addressing, O people, I prefer that when insan comes to translate it as humanity and anas to translate it as people. Because insan is denoting the collective concept of humanity. And anas is doing dal on all the individual elements or members of humanity. So in English you may call that people. Ya nasu o people. But sometimes they're just also used synonymously, right? Oh, each and every single member of humanity. Ya nas. Each and every single one of you ought to fear with reverence and awe your Rabb and be completely and always and ever aware of Him. 
Alladhi, who is your Rabb? He is that big Khalakakum who created each and every one of you. Min nafsin wahida from a single soul. Yani Nabi Adam alayhi salam wa khalaka minha. And then he first created from Nabi Adam alayhi salam, from the, from the soul of Nabi Adam from the self of Nabi Adam Zawjaha, his wife, his mate, his spouse, yani Eve. Umun nas hawa ridana wa batha min huma and then further dispersed from the two of them, Rijalan Kathiru and Nisa'a, many, many men and many, many women. Wattakullah and fear with awe and reverence Allah. Right? So above first came what? Ittaku Rabbakum. Now it's coming Ittakullah. Alladhi, again Alladhi, that being who? Tasa'aluna bihi wal arham. Tasa'aluna bihi wal arham. Through whom you claim your mutual rights and revere the wombs that bore you. From whom you demand rights of one another. And while arham, you demand the uh, family rights from one another. Inna Allah kana alaykum rakiba. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever a watcher over you. So this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes. He's rakib. He's vigilant, intensely watching humanity. So this, uh, you know, this whole verse is explaining humanity, gender, marriage, lineage, progeny, rights, relationships, all in one verse. Alright? And ultimately all of it is about taqwa. It comes twice, ittaku, and then the concept at the end that Allah Ta'ala is raqib. Allah Ta'ala is watching closely how you interact with another. Allah Ta'ala is going to watch you in marriage. He's going to watch you when you have children. He's going to watch you in lineage, watching you in progeny. He's watching every aspect of uh, human life. Okay, now I'm going to go all the way ahead just to the very last line of verse 6 and then verse 7. So the very last line of verse 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So what I'm skipping here is the verses about orphans and nikah, uh, because there's a lot of legal aspects to it that we don't have time to discuss in a series like this. All right? But a general teaching, And Allah subhanahu is sufficient as a reckoner. So first, Allah ta'ala was mentioning this in the immediate context of the passages that precede this. It was in terms of the wealth of the orphans and when you should give it to them and how you should take care of it etc and no matter how much hisab you may keep know that Allah Ta'ala is watching over you and his, his his hisab and his reckoning and accounting of you is sufficient secondly it also means that look if you are true and sincere then you don't have to worry because Allah Ta'ala is hasiba he is the one who will uh, be reckoning and be accounting and as long as you are sincere in doing the right thing, maybe people may even blame you. But you can be content because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is hasi. Okay, then in the next verses are a lot of passages about inheritance. Alright, so we're going to skip that. A lot of laws of inheritance, specific portions, specific shares. I would just want to do the end of it for you. So verses 13 and 14. So after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions details, mathematical fractions uh, pertaining to the laws and shares of inheritance, Allah ta'ala lays down a general principle, a principle specifically for the ahkam, the shari, the law, legal rulings of inheritance but generally and what is that verses 13-14 tilka hududullah 
These are the limits and boundaries and parameters prescribed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whomsoever obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with regard to the hudud, the limits and boundaries that he has prescribed, be that specifically inheritance law or any other aspect of the sharia, rasuluhu, and they also obey the way that the Prophet in hadith has explained the laws revealed in Quran, yudkhiluhu Allah Allah Ta'ala, he will admit such a person who obeys Allah Ta'ala and the Messenger in the hudud, in ahkam, in sharia, jannat and tajim in anharu khaladina fiha. Allah Ta'ala will admit them into gardens of paradise under which uh, streams and rivers flow and they will dwell and abide and reside therein forever. وَذَلَكَ الْفَوْزُ azim, And indeed that is الْفَوْزُ azim, The great tremendous success. On the other hand, however, Yet whomsoever chooses to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not comply, whether specifically with the laws of inheritance mentioned before, or any other of the legal rulings that have been prescribed by Allah ta'ala, or they choose not to believe in the explanations and specifications given by Sayyidina Rasulullah narrated and transmitted to us through the hadith about the inheritance laws or any other legal matters whosoever chooses to disobey Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger and thereby then transgresses the limits set and prescribed by Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala Yudkhiluhu, he Allah Ta'ala will admit such a person, Naran, into the fire of Jahannam, Khalidun fiha, and that individual will live and abide therein forever. Waluhu adabum muhin, and they will have a punishment that is extremely humiliating. But these two verses are enough to make us realize that Allah Ta'ala's law is supreme. You know, just like the state wants to, you to believe that the, their law is supreme. The Supreme Court wants you to believe. That's the word, supreme. Their law is supreme. Allah Ta'ala's law is supreme. It defies and is above and beyond our own rationalization, be it due to some external contingency, even the most sincere intention or secular liberal epistemology. Allah Ta'ala has set these laws and limits and rules. Tilka hadudullah. Alright, so this is verses 13-14, a beautiful way to understand the philosophy of law and the doctrine of human subordination to divine law in Qur'an al-Kareem along with the prophetic explanations of that divine law. Okay, now verse 17 and 18, uh, a beautiful teaching about Tawbah and seeking the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّمَا التَّوْبَةُ عَلَى اللَّهِ لِلَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ السُّوءَ بِجَهَالَةٍ ثُمَّ يَتُوبُونَ مِنْ قَرِيبٍ فَأُولَٰئِكَ يَتُوبُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Indeed, only that tawbah, so the alif lam is for specificity here, that tawbah, that repentance, which repentance? The acceptance of that repentance Allah Ta'ala has made mandatory upon him, Allah. 
And if that repentance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to necessarily accept is which one? It's only for lilladina ya'muluna su'a, for those who commit and perpetrate an evil. Number one, bijahalatin in ignorance. Means they didn't know it was a sin. Thumma, and then immediately thereafter, yutubuna min kareeb. They turn to Allah in repentance min kareeb soon after. فَأُولَٰئِكَ Then such people يُتُوبُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ Then Allah Ta'ala will turn towards them in His relenting, forgiving, merciful nature and accept their tawbah. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا hakima And indeed Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala is all-knowing and all-wise. Alright? This is the first type of tawbah, uh, which is that you see, for these people, there's no mention of istighfar, there's no mention of islah, because they were doing it unknowingly. And as soon as they know, they cease doing it. So that is their tawbah. There's a second type of sin, that if a person does the sin knowingly, not bijahala, but then they seek Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness, and they make tawbah, and they rectify the matter, then they will also be forgiven. And that's going to come later on in the Quran, and we'll show you that. Alright? Toba will not be accepted. You can just even go on. The acceptance of Toba will not be for those who perpetrate evil deeds. And here it's come in plural. Until such a point that death approaches one of them. And then call and then they say, Inni tubtul ana. Oh, I make toba right now. No, no, toba won't be for such a person. So, what it means is that when the certainty of death comes to you, the door for toba is closed. Now, obviously, because none of us know the moment that death will come to us, we should always make toba well in advance. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said above, min kareeb. And there's a second category of people for whom also toba will not be accepted. Nor will Tawbah be accepted from those who die in such a state while they are deniers of truth and disbelievers all the while by the new true uh, belief to be true. In other words, you cannot make Tawbah after you die. You cannot make Tawbah on the Day of Judgment. Alright? Indeed, for such people, Allah says, I, my might and majesty and knowledge and wisdom and in all of Allah's attributes have prepared for them a painful punishment. Alright? And the last thing I will mention uh, for tonight and then we'll be finished with the uh, first half uh, of the... Oh, sorry, we'll finish the fourth juz. We'll finish the second half of the fourth juz. Is uh, verse 19. The second part of verse 19. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the behavior between the husband and wife. وَآشِرُوهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ And you should live along with them. So husbands should live along with their wives in the first instance. But generally it also means wives should live along with their husbands. Spouses should live along with one another. Bil maruf. And remember I explained to you what maruf meant. Maruf is that as that that behavior and manner of interaction that is known by any human being to be what is to be considered kind and appropriate and fair and noble. But then Allah says a very important thing. 
And if it is addressing the husbands, but it can also be the other way. If you husbands dislike them, you know, your wives, that it's quite possible that you are disliking something and Allah Ta'ala has placed in it much good. So there may be an attribute about her or some action about her that you personally don't like it, right? But it's quite possible that even in that, forget that Allah Ta'ala has put in her excellences and her virtues and her graces and her favors and her love for you and her loyalty for you. Allah Ta'ala has put 99.9% of that is what she is. And obviously all of that is here for you. Even if there's something that you don't like, there's some habits, some behavior, some character traits, some action, some tone, some tenor, some language, whatever it may be. Allah is telling the husbands that even that, it's quite possible, perhaps, that you are disliking shay'an, whatever that thing is about her. But Allah has placed in that shay, in that thing that you dislike, khayran kathira. Tremendous good. Allahu hmm? Akbar Kabira. If any man could just practice this verse, uh, all marriages would be happy. Right? And I would also say that it applies both ways. Uh, that if a woman dislikes something about her husband, uh, she should also apply this verse and think that Allah Ta'ala, maybe that the thing that she dislikes, actually Allah Ta'ala has placed much khair in it. And again, go back to the constant theme that Allah Ta'ala has drilled in us by now in Surah Baqarah and Surah Al-Amrawat Tawakkul Allah Wa kafa billahi siba Hasbunullah wa ni'mal wakil Allah ya tawakkul Muneen Tawakkul Trust in Allah Ta'ala Reliance on Allah Ta'ala Dependence on Allah Ta'ala This is a repeating theme and then the start of Surah Nisa Taqwa Fear Allah Ta'ala in terms of your family relations Alright so that is the end from the tafsir of par for tonight. Wa'akhrun da'wan alhamdulillah miladameen. May Allah give us tawfiq to more truly and more better and deeper deeper understand the verses that we were able to discuss tonight. And may Allah give us tawfiq and karam and fazl to understand all the verses that due to shortage of time we could not discuss tonight. But more than even the understanding, may Allah grant us the feelings of Quran and may Allah grant us a life in which we are guided by the guidance of Quran. And may Allah make us people who live and practice and share and embody Quran al-Kareem. And may He raise us on the Day of Judgment such that the Quran testifies for us on our behalf and may he raise us on the day of judgment in the state that we can hear Surah Al-Rahman from him we can enter into Jannah and hear the Tilawah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen